podcast, the only book club podcast that, Amanda, after 18 grueling months of recording, taking notes, making outlines, reading books, uh, the podcast is proud to announce that this is the end of our tour of service. This is it. <laughs> We're free after this recording, which, you know, is half a joke, but also half serious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We get a we get a break. <laughs> do you do you want to announce anything? Well, we can just leave it yeah. vague. Well, yeah, we can. I'm um I'm taking some maternity leave. <laughs> yeah, very exciting times abound. But yeah, we'll be. I mean, in terms of the podcast feed, listeners, you're hearing this first of all months in the future. Uh, we're recording yeah. this. We've got months of books we've read ahead, <laughs> and then also I'll probably record some filler stuff, and we'll see how the leave goes. But anyway, yeah, a fitting end. We did our tour of service, um, and I don't think Amanda. Correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think anyone had any artery bleeds or bowel explosions. What else was in this book? <laughs> um, there's a lot of like collapsed lungs have been like kind of a thing too. Oh, yeah. Uh. yeah. And he has to, at the end of the book, he had to kind of repump that one with his mouth. Like pump yeah. the tube with his mouth. Yeah, we'll get into those gruesome details in a bit. Uh, if you have no idea why we're making jokes about end of tours of service and kind of bodily things, that is because you've stumbled upon a book club episode. These are analytical deep dive episodes. Today's book club will be a part two episode for the novel MASH by Richard Hooker, which yes, it's the novel MASH, like the TV show and the movie that were so famous. Um, this is part two, so today we'll be spoiling the entirety of this novel, mostly obviously discussing the second half and then at the end giving some overall thoughts. So if you've stumbled into the wrong place, you can feel free to hit pause on this episode now and come back and visit us when you're ready. And if you don't mind getting it spoiled, we'll be working our way through the book, talking about it. So if you're here for that conversation, then you're in the perfect place. Um, We are, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook under that handle. It's one word, just at the Lightly Literary Podcast. Again, we'll be doing spoilers today. We don't hold anything back in our book club episodes. So prepare for that if that bothers you. And some content warnings. I I didn't add any new ones, Amanda. It's just there's more surgery in this half. So there's going to maybe be some talk or quotes about bodily harm and injury Uh, and then yeah there's still some race and gender stuff but i don't think i have any quotes planned that have the terms in it but there are some some outdated um like directly racist terms that get thrown out in this half so any others that i missed uh, I don't think so. I think that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, we in the first half, we mentioned those things, but also none of our discussion really had anything to do with those things. So I don't, right. don't foresee that in the second half, but those warnings are in here just in case something comes up. Should we dive into the episode? Let's do it. Cool. Uh, we'll start with chapter 10. You chunked up this half. So yeah, chapter 10 seems good. I think, do you think the book gets a lot more serious in the second half? Because my chief complaint in the first half was kind of these guys skated along too easily, and then it's as if the book heard me. (laughs) Right, yeah, in the second half, you definitely have more of the the fear of failure and stuff that you were saying earlier, that it seemed like they just were. What is the term for that? Um, Fear of failure? Huh. No, the term for um, a character that seems to be able to do everything perfectly. Oh, well, there's the idea of plot armor, but that's a different thing. I know what you're talking about. It's, um, there's a term for it for a man and a woman. It's like a Jack and Jill or Susie and yeah. Bonnets, you know what I mean? It's like a Mary Sue for Mary the woman, Sue. but I, yeah. yeah, but I don't remember what it is for a Jim man. Jim Bob? Well, it's a Jim Bob now, <laughs> making it up. <laughs> Just pick two bland, a white American male names. It's a Jim yep. Bob. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, so this chapter kicks off chapter 10 with the onslaught of something they call the the deluge, or is it? Deluge? 
Why can't I say yeah. that word now? Deluge. Deluge. You can say it either way, Deluge, I think. Deluge, yeah. Anyway, it's a few weeks long period of especially trying times for the MASH unit. There is tension between just about everybody. Um, it opens with Hawkeye kind of fighting with their anesthesiologist over procedures and some other, you know, conflicts. And there's just a lot of people coming in long hours, you know, 20 hour days of surgeries and stuff. Um, there's a person in the unit, uh, Pierce. He manages to save Captain Logan. Wait, Pierce is Hawkeye, right? It's Hawkeye Pierce. Yes. Yeah, yeah. When he. Uh, I thought I had the names confused, but I didn't. He manages to save a Captain Logan, a young man, after also botching a procedure. He missed something. And so there's mistakes being made. He still manages to salvage it, um, but he gets mad at, like, his but His buddies thank him, and he's furious because, you know, he's all about performance and doing a good job, and he hasn't been. So all in all, they're just kind of... The tensions are high. They're emotionally kind of falling apart. There's also a scene where a young soldier is lost, where they do, like, fail to save somebody they're chatting with. So there's some emotions tugged out there. Um, reaching their breaking point, though, the unit finally has their spirits lifted in two ways, Amanda. Uh, a, a new guy arrives, Jeter, and they give yep. dating advice to him, which, did you enjoy that scene? I did. <laughs> okay. Um, and then B, the other thing, is they the c- colonel invites roger the dodger over i think it was the colonel who invited him right wasn't it his idea um it was it was not Radars? really it was radar yeah radar okay. is the one who who yeah. got both of those yeah he he picked up on the down the down vibes and radar invited yeah. him over to kind of cause trouble and so roger the dodger picks up people's spirits by making fun of the nurses as they walk to the showers that's his whole game which gets everybody having a you know having a chuckle and they get in trouble from there um escalates to the general who who you know is furious with everyone wants to get them in trouble but of course they escape punishment as they always do uh, this time they go to meet the general and they pretend it to be far more unintelligent and troublesome than they actually are. And so they kind of pull a ruse that way and then things carry on. So hijinks ensue, even in the really serious chapter, can't escape the hijinks here. Of course not. <laughs> so let's talk about the, I mean, we could read sections from the delu- de- deluge, deluge. I don't know why that word's, <laughs> it looks so foreign to me in this day. I don't know why, you know, I've seen that word a bunch of times. Anyway. Mm-hmm. We could talk about this. I think let's look more at the humorous moments. This is a book, I think, on the whole, meant to be lighthearted, a little more comedic, obviously. Right. So mm-hmm. that's the stuff I wanted to discuss more. Um, yeah. Let's talk about making fun of some nurses, shall we? <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the, from bottom of 129. Uh, daily at 3 p.m. for an hour, the showers in the 477th MASH were reserved for the nurses. The nurses, some passed the first bloom of youth, some not on diets, had to pass the swamp and route to and from their ab- ablutions, and it was a portion of this processional that crossed the field the vision of Roger the Dodger on one of his trips outdoors to exhort the populace to violation. All the nurses, Roger the Dodger yelled now, are elephants. Then he switched the call to, all the elephants have clap. And Hot Lips Houlihan, Trapper John suggested, is the head mahout and must be held responsible. And Hot Lips (laughs) Houlihan, Roger the Dodger yelled, is the head mahout and must be held responsible. And then, you know, it had their expected result. She gets furious on and on. You know... I, I guess the most baseline question we can start with is, did you laugh? I, I just didn't laugh at this. I, like, is it a time thing? Is it a my sense of humor, his sense of humor? It can be hard for senses of humor to align. But it's just mm-hmm. it just feels either dated or like it's missing me. I mean, I get that it's so obviously meant to be the funny thing. But I think it's it's a little more... Now, granted, 
let's not ignore how young many military service members are, but it does feel just a little high school and juvenile to me. I think a lot of the humor has. It's as if everyone's reverted to being 15 again or something, uh, which I, I think you could easily observe that and say, well, that's realistic or something like, and that's fine. I, I wouldn't dispute that or something. It's not like I served. It's also doesn't, it doesn't mean it's funny either. <laughs> it's just kind of like, I don't know. It, it's not the most intriguing shenanigans. And this lacks the elegance of the first half. Now, I bemoan that, too, because I thought some of it was maybe a little too absurd. But I guess the more realistic stuff isn't working for me either. Did you find this, like, funny? Or what would you? how'd you read it? Um, not necessarily funny. I I was like, well, of course they're going to focus on um, Houlihan because she's mm-hmm. somebody that they constantly are at war with yeah, um, yeah. because she's so rigid um, in yeah. her military stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the, the cat calls like, but, but they're not even cat calls. They're just like calling it these people that they don't find attractive, like it's elephants just, and stuff. Yeah, it's just making yeah. fun. And there's not really, you can call it bullying. I don't think it's that though. Cause it's not repeated. Like, Right. I feel like bullying has to be over a longer period of time than an instant. But anyway, yeah, it's just it's just directly m- making fun. <laughs> there's no like other right. subtlety about it. Right. There's no um compared to like when uh Hawkeye and the others when they kind of make fun of somebody, it's they're usually targeted for something specific and it's not just the entire group of people that they're targeting mm-hmm. um, which is why I'm not surprised that it was um, one of the, the guys that specifically encouraged him to call out Houlihan right yeah. because that's that's their humor is to pinpoint somebody and make it very personal um, mm-hmm. so the I think that was just meant maybe to show the character and like how he yeah. is different from the other three characters um in his sense of humor um yeah a little more blunt i mean they do egg him on but as always right. they're gonna get away with something he might not you know they're right tease artists escape art i also would point out quick before we jump to something else i think maybe the reason that stuck with me is the narrator also gets in on it with the diet slash like oh they're getting old thing which is mm-hmm. just I, I guess the only thing i would point out this is kind of an overarching big picture like i didn't pull a quote for this or something i mean granted gosh it's there's so many tangents to go off on here about diet culture with the 50s and there's gender things here and misogyny whatever um the baseline is this like these men are basically alcoholics and the narrator never pokes fun at that <laughs> like it's like it's more observed as just kind of like a they needed that I, i'm just saying i guess what i'm trying to say is it feels like the narrator is so kind to the crew and it, just the fact that the narrative jumped in here to get a little commentary in on them was just kind of like okay all right man like i i guess i i feel like that was a telling enough moment it's also pretty brief you know it's not like he is slinging extreme extremities or something but i, I that couple of lines jumped out to me because it's i guess like how often do, does the narrator go out of his way to attack any of the main crew in in the same way it, it feels like not as often yeah, the, very rarely is there any 
So it was just telling, I guess. It, I don't, yeah. I didn't have a strong reaction to it, but I thought the subtlety of that. I also just like both the solutions are just like giving really misogynistic advice and like teasing the ladies. Like, okay, yeah, it's I don't know. <laughs> uh, it uh, with the Jeter stuff too, you know. Like, here's here's how you here's how you hook a nurse, you know. Like, there's one of two methods, man. It, it was yeah. all just. <laughs> I don't know. It felt very boyish to me, which, again, probably fitting enough with the the context of the whole thing. But I don't. Do you find that juxtaposition interesting? Because it's there's there's moments like that, and then you know, obviously, and then they go back to being very competent, skilled professionals that are like doing the most serious work. It's a strange thing. I don't know. I'm not sure if it worked for me all the time. It felt maybe a little whiplashy in the second half. What did you pick up on in this section? Um. Well, as far as like the the whiplashy part, it's it wasn't so much of a whiplash for me, I, I suppose, because just hearing growing up, hearing stories from my dad, and he doesn't really talk about his time that often, except to tell me <clears> the <throat> funny stories. Um, and then like my husband too, he he's like, my husband explained to me that the military, it's it's like you're, um, you're kind of just in this boys' club. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's not uncommon to kind of have that mentality of like um like gym humor I suppose like when you're in high school like it's it's just a little it's it's a boys club where they do stupid stuff and they egg each other on and um they talk about women and and stuff like that and do silly crazy things to relieve the stress of getting yelled at all the time and uh, being in high stress situations and stuff like that so the the back and forth of like being competent but then also like emotionally um immature yeah in a lot of ways and yeah and socially immature when it comes to the the um the opposite sex there it's it's not i suppose as jarring for me um, just from what I know, but I, I, with the dating scene in particular, when they were encouraging Jeter to like, either just like straight up be like, Hey, let's, let's go bone or like mm. wooing a person. Right. Do the courtship <laughs> events, you know, all, yeah. the, all <laughs> yeah. the rituals. I, I thought that was really funny because it's, um, I actually did laugh at that. Not so much at the, um, the cat calling to the ladies, um, as they were walking back from their showers, but the the dating one, I I kind of um, laughed at a little bit uh, because of the later um, when they were like, well, just you know, if you do go out, like be careful of like where you lay down that blanket because you know you don't want to go too far and end up on a mine, and then you definitely yeah. won't get any and stuff like that. Like it's just, I don't know. I found that more entertaining than the other one Um, and also like Jeter is just so innocent (laughs) well and the baseline kind of split but in their advice or kind of his approach very direct yeah Yeah. that had its own kind of I don't know realistic charm or something like that yeah no it on the whole I just think it, it did make me think back to what I was so complaining about in the first end, the almost absurdity, the inventiveness of 
the hijinks and the kind of just how it was so unbelievable <laughs> in a way that was mm-hmm. I don't know I, I guess I wanted it more believable and then I got what I wanted and I thought I don't know if this was what I wanted then <laughs> this is also something that isn't connecting um, anything from this section you wanted to talk about um, yeah so I just wanted to, to touch on um, during the deluge that the feelings that Hawkeye and also um, both the Duke and Trapper John all three of them have encountered during this time like the the depression of failure and fatigue mm-hmm. they're like working for like two or three weeks like almost 24 7 just because of what's going on at the front and yeah they make some mistakes and um trapper john and the duke do lose a patient um in the process and and it's a, a serious moment that um, really highlights in Colonel Blake also, right? He can see what's happening um, and radar picks up on it. Everybody picks up on it, but it's, mm-hmm. sh- it's like it highlights their how much they actually care as surgeons and as people who, you know, have vowed to save lives because they operate they also say that they operated on like everyone including um people who weren't on on their side right they were operating on everybody right. uh, trying to save everybody's lives and it's uh, that serious moment for me was um i think a very important note in in this chapter and and to and it's pretty i think telling that it comes like almost right in the middle of the book too where we yeah, had all yeah. of these hijinks and these these funny stories and then it's like but seriously this is why they need their um their hijinks and their their crazy antics is so that they can uh depressurize and kind of like get out of those fits of depression because they're like at heart really good guys so yeah it it did read almost that was the funny part for me in the chapter is because i feel like that was the rallying cry of concern in the first part and it was just so Mm -hmm. immediately it was like oh here's something incredibly serious for you to chew on yeah it was pretty well done let's move to the two next chapters yeah so um chapters 11 and 12 the heat of the summer is getting to our heroes as much as the boredom from their now quiet days the deluge has ended to get some relief from both the guys use colonel delong's inexperience with them he's relieving colonel blank uh, blake while blake's in tokyo to convince delong to send them all to get psychiatrically evaluated um, they milk the situation, <laughs> getting some respite for a few days until Colonel Blank r- Blake returns and brings them back to the unit. And once the heat of the summer dies down, the guys come up with a new plan that Colonel Blake is completely on board for. Create a football team and challenge the 325th EVAC team, which is the best, quote, team, because there have only been a few teams to play. I think they played two other teams. Yeah. Um, big, big, huge winning <laughs> record. Incredibly impressive achievement. All right. I mean, 100% 100%. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, in order to win, Blake agrees with Hawkeye that they need a neurosurgeon who also happens to be a pro football player, Spear Chucker Jones. Um, he's transferred to the swamp and is already friends with Hawkeye. 
Um, there's some possibility for tension as Duke brings up race as a possible issue since he's from Georgia, but the two discover that their families are, are already known to each other as Duke's father had helped Spearchucker's family leave the South after Spearchucker's father's violent death. Hmm. I was, I can't express my relief when it's revealed. I don't even know if it's in these chapters that the origins of Spear Chucker is not any racial uh, discrimination. I was so thrilled. I was like, man, what old offensive thing is this going to be in reference to? And no, it's just a track and field reference to Spear. What is it called? Javelin throwing? Javelin. Yeah, he was javelin throwing. Yeah, yeah. huge relief. Huge relief. Because I just thought, I can't imagine what uh, what 1950s-ism this is going to uncork. But no, no, no. We're good. We're good. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a reference to he was, like, really good at throwing the football. <laughs> oh, yeah, that makes sense, too. It's not spear-like, but they're pointed, so I'm 100% on board. It's a good reading. Uh, yeah, so. And I'm glad, too, that, like, even though the the Duke is like, oh, there might be tension because I'm from Georgia, and he, like, you know, uses some language that we don't use nowadays, he actually is not racist i guess or at least he's like yeah i don't know right like he, and he, he drops and his family's not yeah he drops the line and i could pull the page but won't bother he does the like i don't see race line that's his whole thing and, and then yeah of course it's revealed i mean we're spoiling the back half uh it's revealed that he helped their family helped him out you know spear trucker's family so yeah it doesn't seem like his family has that big animosity it is more of a regional in his mind a regional attitude slash pride he has to like uphold or i don't know he almost feels like he has to behave like you know like any georgian of the time should anyway what what about this section jumped out to you um it's kind of a weird thing um Mm -hmm. but the guys have been reading somerset mom maham how oh yeah. You, how do you pronounce it? I have always pronounced it Somerset M- Mahan, but that's probably wrong. Maham. Yeah, I don't. It's Maham, I guess. Um, which is now considered classic lit, right? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. So, I just thought, um, and this isn't the first time that these guy that literature um, has been um, referenced in this novel. But I was just like, while I was reading. And it's they're all reading this book, and I was just like, "Man, like you, they're so often like crass in a lot of ways that it's it's uh, it's a bit jarring when we get these pieces of like actually, you know, they're really intelligent. They they do have other interests other than gin, uh, <laughs> and mm. I was just like, "Wow, Summers at Mom, like okay." You All gotta right. fill those long hours with something. No TV, no internet invented. I mean, yeah. But the reading was the kind of cultural engagement of the day. Yeah. Yeah. And and I guess I, I forget that, but like especially just because of their antics and everything else. But but then they turn that that they're reading like it's almost like a book club for them because they all read the book together. Mm-hmm. And then they turn around and they like make it into kind of a drinking thing where they sit around and like call out to the Korean houseboys telling them to get to work at 
on certain things just like in the novel so like yeah yeah that's yeah. great <laughs> no it was a nice it was a fun illusion too i think i've i think i've only read one book by that author but i couldn't i just think of him as an outdoorsy writer you know a hemingway mm-hmm. type a london type i don't know if that's actually true yeah. <laughs> but that's just my brain has clumped him into that group of people yeah I know that the book covers are often very beautifully done and, and nature-based. Right. Um, so. right. <laughs> yeah, we count that. We count that. We judge covers around here. We're not We're not above it. <laughs> you you want to you set aside five minutes here, Amanda, to discuss the epileptic whore? Yes. You'll sense, a, you'll sense a theme in the thing I've jumped on in the second half of this book, which is every time a woman comes into the story in any prominent way... Uh, it perked my ears up because I was like, oh, "What's this? What's an author going to do with this?" I'm curious. What's mm-hmm. the what's the military's view of this going to be? Um, I will admit there was a the reason I picked this scene not only because it, it just felt like it dragged on forever. They made this joke about it, and then it became real, and then for some reason this ends up being like a six page, <laughs> I don't know, little sojourn, little side quest within the story when they go yeah. to find this person. But there was a line in here that did get, make me chuckle, so I, I plucked it out quickly. Um, so they they find somebody at a a sexual. What would we call it? They would call it a whorehouse. That term, we would not call it. Whatever. uh, Sex workers. Yeah, brothel, I guess. Um, And on the bottom 150, Trapper says, so they they give Major Haskell the Duke's appointment with this woman who supposedly has epilepsies during um, penetrative sex, and that's her whole thing. And they call it the the fastest ride in the Far East Command, Trapper assured him. Anyway, Trapper's next line is, good luck, said Trapper. Don't break your stem. And then Duke says, y'all watch out when she sunfishes, warned Duke. I don't know why, but that did make me chuckle. I, I think it's <laughs> uh, just the imagery of it or something. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I also do think that it pairs well with y'all and the accent that, you know, you have to read the Duke in, I think, the whole time. And mm-hmm. just the, yeah, there's something about that scene. Again, I think it dragged on a bit long, and it was clear that just the phrase epileptic whore, the author was probably, like, enjoying writing that to him. I think he thought that was a more clever thing than it was just in the name but there was some decent banter uh back and forth and i don't know i I like that line from the duke the um you were saying as well that it was like turned into like a six page like caper almost um and and everybody except for the three guys like yeah they don't they they, yeah they're the only three that don't um but it, it made me think of um, in in the previous episode I was talking about how it's kind of like um, the Odyssey, like rewritten, um, and mm-hmm. it made me think of what was it Calypso, who like kept the guys on the right. island. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was making me think of that, and I was just like making that connection in my mind of like, well, there's the you know the the sexual appeal and using that sexual appeal and something unique, right? With Calypso, it was her magic, um, mm-hmm. but with in this case, it's the uh, what what did the psychiatrist say it was? Actually, it wasn't epilepsy. It was um, it was hysteria. Some, yeah, some kind of response. <laughs> yeah. Well, that that part. <laughs> see, and then well, I'm glad you brought that up though, because then doesn't yeah. that become doesn't this turn into a really creepy scene then? And not, doesn't that kill the humor? It's like a person is having like a trauma response to their for, you know, we can almost assuredly assume somewhat forced sex work. I mean, that's not stated that way, but 
you know, we can assume that the options were limited and yada yada. I don't like there are certain lines in there that again that to me is the time thing of like that just cut that man that feels so icky now to read that because it's in the time there's a certain military pragmatism that I guess and also again just a different cultural expectation but yeah that I hadn't thought of that until you just brought it up but I remember reading that then and kind of you know my toes curl up being like oh this is this is now like a creepy much different trauma scene instead of you know getting a couple jokes in it, it also again just felt like it went on for so long I, and you know i'm not gonna i'm guessing i'm gonna do the editing thing again but then to not have her show up in the book is just another that just feels like a very i don't know this author just did not write this book uh to have any interesting women in it really of any kind which you yeah, know if we want to write all that off as time place military 1950s whatever we could you know we'll we'll present his presumably reasons um but yeah it's just like well at least give her a moment to make light of it yeah just you bring that up just creep me out again i was like oh now i'm bothered again (laughs) when when he said the hysteria what what i thought of was like the victorian hysteria which wasn't actually hysteria right like the way that they treated hysteria back then was to like actually give right, the women with, orgasms with sex yeah right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. um so that's like that was where my mind went was that it, it was that kind An of orgasmic response yeah rather yeah, than yeah. that's actually yeah I, it's, that definitely could be true I, I suppose i hear that word and i think bad diagnosis but yeah, yeah no you're right it, it could be that she just has orgasms really easily you know mm-hmm. and hopefully we presume enjoyably given the given the epileptic response i suppose yeah um, it let's, would also let's hope be, that's what it was <laughs> I, you know i don't know if this is giving him too much credit and considering all the other women in the book I, I don't think i'll give uh hooker much credit but it could also be a slight commentary that none of the men understand what's happening to her i mean you know that could be a critique of their own fail sexual failings and like how they don't you know they're not like there to bring her pleasure and you know hear her out get her side to it and and like p- please her basically but i just don't i don't think that reading's in there that would be i think a little too generous but you're right about that mm-hmm. that's a good i think that's a better way to interpret it yeah and oh and that reminds me because blake's response was to quote something from alice in wonderland oh yeah right the jabberwock yeah another literary deep cut for for people out there that was fun yeah yeah anything else from this section from these couple chapters um i mean there were like the discussions of race but it was the i thought that it was interesting that it wasn't it was like duke had some reservations but more so he thought that duke seems to dislike yankees more than anything but like right, <laughs> and, right. and catholics uh, but uh, the the discussions of race he was more it when I was reading it my interpretation was that he was more concerned that Spear Chucker would have a problem with him with the expectation that since he's from Georgia that he would be mm-hmm. uh, racist which is why he asked will you have a problem rather than saying anything about his own views or feelings about that which is how that story came out about spear chucker's family and he said we definitely won't have a problem um yeah but i just thought that yeah. was interesting that and, and also there was like another uh another point where spear chucker was talking about with hawkeye when they were first boarding together and he would bring over his friends 
and um, Hawkeye would leave the room and he's like, what's the, pro-, you know, what's the problem? Like, do you just not like to be around a lot of black guys? And Hawkeye said, no, it's just that essentially he was saying, do you dislike or it's not about the race. It's about like the person themselves. There are some people he doesn't like to be around, so he's not going to yeah. be around them regardless of the race. And he made the point like, you know, if I bring my white friends around and there's somebody that you don't like, is it because you don't like all of them or is it just like the one person or whatever? So I thought that there was some discussion there that was like showing that even though they might use the language of mm-hmm. like use some of that language that seem makes them seem like they're uh, more closed minded than they actually are. I Yeah, I think I read his whole intro now. You, I think you've covered a lot of the main conversation points, too, and the main themes or threads. My reaction to that whole thing, his introduction, felt like sidestepping to me. It felt like Hooker wanted a football player in the story and didn't... It's odd, though, because he could have just obviously made the character white and moved on with the story. So it, it's it's a strange thing to have that in there because it's, I guess, you know, me saying sidestepping is a little dismissive. I mean, he does try and bring up those things, but... To then not acknowledge really any larger disparities, but to just quickly establish all the characters are too virtuous and like too too pure of mind to have to like worry about this. I don't know. It, it's weird though to think now. It's just like well, he could have just recast the character. So I, he wanted to say something. <laughs> you know, it's like he put him in there for a reason, I suppose. But yeah, it also just felt to me like too shallow to be to pick to be picked up upon or to pick. Yeah, right. to analyze basically, um, and, and yeah, he unlike, could have definitely done more with that. It, well, and unlike other elements of the story, like I've tried to jump on looking at every woman that comes in for any period of time, just trying to glean things and you know picking up on whatever. But it, it's not like that where you have at least I have five different incidents in the book where I can start to piece together something. This is the only person of color in the whole story, even. I guess except for their house, what do they call him? House boy? Was that his name? Yeah. T- or title, not name. But yeah, uh, it's that's like, his title. And that, even that, the, the race thing is immediately dismissed, and they don't talk about his Korean identity basically at all, uh, except mm-hmm. for, you know, slight language issues to get him to college. Anyway, I guess all I'm trying to say is it felt like sidestepping to me, but the fact that, like you said, there's some certain thematic things there, it, it all just comes back to, like, these are decent American men doing the most decent, honest, good thing all the time. <laughs> it was just, it felt like another right. vector to deliver that, where it's like, even caught up in an extremely uh, racially divided time, you know, with these b- profound problems, these are just good, good men looking for good other men, just being good men, <laughs> it's, you know, right? I don't know, felt like another vector for that. Any other thoughts on that one, second? Uh, nope. All right, a few chapters to go. Chapter 13. It, I, is this the climax of the book? If the book has one? Feels like it is. I, I, I don't know. I guess. <laughs> yeah, the book doesn't really have one, to be honest. But if, if it had to, I, I think this is as close as we, we get. It is the showdown, the football game with General Hammonds, undefeated, 2-0, and as we bragged about for him. <laughs> uh, football team, the showdown has arrived. Our gang, of course, has concocted a very clever plan to defeat his loaded squad because he's got a pro player or three pro players on his team three or something. Three of them, yeah. Yeah, um, which is that they were, they're going to injure one player on purpose 
<laughs> that is explicitly part of their plan. So as you note, we'll get to this, but the nobility of the the dudes, the nobility of our great American men really falls, really collapses in this, <laughs> yeah. in this part. It really <laughs> In a does. really strange way. <laughs> anyway, their plan is to explicitly injure one player and then the other two guys who are too big to be injured, they're just going to tire them out. So they're designing everything to just wear people down. And then they're saving Spear Chucker until the second half. That's their that's their other big trick is they'll reveal that they have a pro player too. Um, they, of course, do all of this to gamble. That's the whole point is to take and win money. They get two to one gambling odds of the game. And then at halftime, I think they get like four to one or something crazy. Uh, many mm-hmm. people in the MASH unit decide to go in on this scheme. So the stakes are really high in the book because I had to look this up. In the book, it was $6,000, they say, which today would be $65,000. Holy crap. According to inflation. (laughs) And I had to look that up because it was another thing. Remember in the first half with the Jesus scheme and I got kind of peeved by like how successful it seemed. I was like, that's annoying. They didn't have to make it that like they don't have to make them seem that good or cool. This just like tripled that in my mind. I was like, come on, you don't have to. It doesn't have to be that grand a thing, like a, a house mortgage payment like amount of. You don't have to do that to make it seem, make them seem so impressive. Anyway, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the game itself follows a pretty typical sports movie narrative. Uh, the team gets down early, of course. Their plans aren't working, but then they they come back. They make scrappy plays. Of course, ultimately their clever plan pays off. And again, you noted this. I'll add it in. In addition to them just cheating straight up. Like they just straight up cheat with Radar O'Reilly. They they mm-hmm. steal the other team's plays and like get information. So there's that. And of course they win the game. They win the money. There's some banter, but in the end everything works out. It's always going to work out forever and ever for these people. And so that's <laughs> that's just the story we're reading. Um, and so yeah, I, I did skip or condense a ton of the game down. But really, it's like I was actually kind of shocked. I guess I'll start, but I was shocked by how many like cliched by now cliched. Of course, not when this was written um Mm -hmm. but by now cliched sports movie tropes snuck its way into the into the book i was it's almost like i wonder if this was the originator of a lot of these tropes yeah i I don't know maybe because we've got we've got a few we've got like hiding a player or at least hiding who you have or you know in in other movies it's often like change the jersey so you know you don't know who's who or something Mm -hmm. the one that really stood out to me though is that the at the end they run a really trick play involving the center who's not supposed to have the ball and then they have somebody and then they have him like pretend like he's leading the field but then he doesn't this is still a trick that's in movies like little giants and stuff also remember Remember the Titans? I think has like a weird trick playing it. The Varsity Blues has a play where the center has gets thrown the ball. It's just like such an odd thing to see this in an early work. And maybe this is just because I've had a high exposure, as you can probably tell, like sports, pop culture, sports movies. But it was just so weird to see these things almost originate here. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you did. You notice those? You probably haven't had as much exposure as I have to that kind of stuff. Um, I did not play football, but what I did appreciate was like, even mm-hmm. with the trick play, instead of just saying like it worked, cause in those movies that you mentioned, which I've seen as well, there's mm-hmm. no, like, it just happens. There's no like corresponding, like you have to 
um, offset certain things. But in the book, you can tell that the author actually like, you know, I think he probably played football because he mm-hmm. he has such knowledge of the rules that he actually spells out like, oh, yeah. hey, this guy has to step back because this guy is going to do this trick play. You have to inform the referee beforehand to let him know so that he can watch out for that and stuff like So I was like, Oh, okay. But Hooker yeah, clearly, it, no, he likes intricacies of a football game and surgery, as he'll prove in the next chapter. Oh yeah. So it's there is For some sure. almost technical language, I would say, in that section. Yeah. And even like with radars, um, when he's eavesdropping and cheating, um, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. he's explaining the plays to them as well, and it's like the even describing some of those plays I, I could actually like envision it in my mind what they were doing so and yeah. so did you find because you're the one who picked up on this or put a note in for, to, to discuss it and mention it do you think the cheating element of this changed your view of the characters I mean it's so late in the book you know but did that right. did that change your reading at all or did you think it was just really discordant or something what did you, what, how'd you make I found you know? it yeah I found it really discordant because I was just like up until now, they, they've taken the moral high road, the people that they hurt, the people that they, not hurt, but the people that they torment um, are people that they believe are owed that in a way. But yeah. the, sedating the, um, the, the one guy um, that was like the second line... Uh, second string for the Rams and then yeah. injuring uh, him having, on purpose first <laughs> injuring him and then sedating him so that he couldn't get back into the game um, Radar just telling them what their plays are um, mm-hmm. those two things in particular were were straight up cheating the the hiding the player and doing the trick stuff I'm like okay whatever that that is like what you would see in yeah they're clever and they're meant to seem right, smarter, exactly. clever, you know, they're, they're, right. they've got a scrappy genius to them. Right. And and scouting the team beforehand, too, is very much something that we would see in today's football movies. Right. The 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 actual cheating stuff is like where we see that stuff in like Varsity Blues. It was like like the dark side of football, <laughs> like mm-hmm. um, where you purposefully injure and you are just straight up cheating like that um i was like that doesn't fit their general character yeah yeah it i think the the way you get out of that reading i will say and i was so glad this is why i was so glad you brought it up it didn't hit me at all because it just read as another another way to show their kind of scrappy genius though again this isn't really genius so i think i'm glad you brought it up because i think my reading was a bit too rushed in the moment but i think the way you could you could reconcile this if you really you know as we we are caught up on it, it basically they're cheating out like you said people who aren't victims of anything who are kind of on equal ground and it's not like the stakes but the gambling does complicate that but the stakes are you know comparatively low like they would never cheat in, you know, surgery in this way. And when they make mistakes there, they they beat themselves up over it. So it, I think right. in a sense it's meant to show, like, you know, when it's time to have fun or when it's just for fun, 
you, they're just they're just hound dogs, you know. They're just ah, they're just gonna do what they do, have fun and and get away with stuff because they're cool hound dog dudes, <laughs> rebels, uh, cowboys. Yeah, there you go. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's I just kind of read it as a package with all that. But I could see, yeah, I don't know. It, it, I will admit it wasn't discordant to me reading it. Uh, it felt like something they would do. But you, I think you've nailed so many good points that it's hard to hard to kind of look at that and think that it couldn't have been written a different way or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that, like, um, Blake in particular had, like, a real beef with Hammond um, mm-hmm. for whatever reason. That's never really, like, explored a whole lot, except that Blake thinks that he's, like, incompetent as, as a football coach and that he just generally doesn't like him, perhaps because Hammond is, is his superior, right? Yeah. Hammond right. is the, the one. Yeah. And I and enjoyed he's his... the one who. Yeah, he's talking a lot of trash throughout the game and is like yeah. in a total panic mode, uh, yeah. almost a panic kind of. He's giving really bad motivational speeches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I enjoyed all that. I really did. <laughs> yeah, I like the uh, the description of him like as his um, at the beginning of both the the beginning of the game and after halftime, and he's just so red in the face, like from the passion of like trying to get them motivated. Mm-hmm. I just I love that vision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was great. Good addition to have him there. In the back half, he kind of became. We'll get to this and spoil in a future segment. He kind of became a real highlight for me. Doesn't do much, but is a, a good foil and kind of understated. I kind of like the Colonel. It, you know, he just says "God damn it" enough times to get to make me like him. That's like one of my probably my all-time favorite curse when it's done correctly. When correctly applied, I think it really is my favorite. Nice. Anything else from the football game climax? If we want to even call it that. Uh, nope, that was it All for right. me. Let's do fourteen. Fourteen. Um, it's getting close to Hawkeye and Duke's end of enlistment, and without a whole lot of work to be done, the two are getting really antsy. Um, but. Two new classically trained surgeons arrive, and Colonel Blake decides to pair them with Hawkeye and Duke as a kind of training experiment to get the guys more job satisfaction, while also getting some real, quote, meatball training for the newbies. Mm-hmm. Um, everything seems to be going well until one of the new guys, Pinkham, is sent home on emergency leave after his wife is admitted into a psychiatric hospital from the stress of living with her in-laws and taking care of the kids without her husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, a lot, um, of, a lot of women hysteria in the back half, Amanda. You'll notice a trend. A lot of <laughs> yeah. women being hysterical. Yeah, except for Hawkeye and the Duke's wife, right? No, Wives. no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're red-blooded, even-tempered Americans. Nothing wrong with them. Yeah. Yeah, and Just, and also like even with like Hulahan and stuff, there's still that one um, nurse who is like super cool with Hawkeye and um, the rest of the guys. Yeah, they do mention her once again. I don't think she ever speaks though. <laughs> she does. Oh, does she? she? Does okay. Speak. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't um, remember. She that. does actually have um, some a few lines each time that she's mm-hmm. like in um, in the book she she says something to them and she's very straightforward with them too but yeah um, yeah and they respect her they do have a nickname for her um, but it's it's like knockout or something like that like because they're they respect her so much and they're like yeah she could knock out anybody um, but it's not knockout it's something like that I think oh, okay I don't, I don't remember it, that at all but I I was not picking up on it anything jump out about this chapter to you 
Um, yeah, I had read some comparisons um, of this novel to Catch-22. I don't know if you've read Catch-22. Only parts. Yeah, only parts. Yeah. Um, so, also another war novel mm-hmm. um, with, with a lot of humor and sarcasm and stuff. Um, but the what I picked up on was like on page 152 there's some discussion and it made me think of Catch-22 where um, Hawkeye and Duke are talking about like yo why is it that all these other surgeons are getting to end their enlistment at home they go stateside and work at the um, army hospitals there the last Mm -hmm. two three months of their enlistment why are we still here at the front um and Blake is like, well, it's because, you know, you're actually good at your job. Yeah, you're too good. <laughs> you're too good, man. We can't let you go. So it's like this weird where everything, especially when you look at some of the hijinks that they pull, it's because um, their their morality is based on the idea of like merit and doing a job well. And so it's like. The, the catch-22 here is that incompetence is rewarded um, and you're actually punished for doing good work. Um, right, so you're right. risking your life <laughs> even more so by being at the front. You're, you're risking your life because you're really good at your job um, yeah. versus you're tanking when it comes to surgery, so we're just going to send you home. Like, yeah, when your in job is inherently miserable and awful, then it's hard. It's not good to be good at it, <laughs> right? But right. of course, it's the it's the cornerstone of their whole mor- morality, right? It's the foundation of their honor that they would be good actually and and display their competence. Like they refuse to, you know, they refuse to do a bad job at, at the one thing they think is genuinely important. Hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it's, it's another indication of their character that they right. That they realize that, and they're still willing to do a good job and and not be stateside. <laughs> you know, the book hasn't been light on this, but did you did you enjoy or just tolerate the medical writing? Because I thought this champer, chapter amped it up weirdly. This to me, I didn't. So in the football scene, we talked about you talking about the character disconnection for you. You're they're doing mm-hmm. strange things they probably shouldn't be, or it's a little overdone. To me, this is yeah. the chapter that hit me that way. I was like, do you? Re-? It was like the author was flexing his medical credentials on the page, and it was kind of like you know you've dropped enough references in for me to get that this is legit. This this chapter just to me took it like way too far and there were I, it's not like I didn't finish the paragraphs I did pull one but let me just pull the terms from this paragraph not even read the whole thing it mentions a syringe of novocaine sure simple enough the space between the ribs and then the plural cavity there's it mentions a plunger mentions this angle of the needle scalpel inside the skin plural cavity bubbles of air incision fully catheter kelly clamp tube uh, nurse comes in, bubbles, balloon, rubber tube, something about the floor. Like, I, you know, it's not very technical, but it's dense with procedure. <laughs> and, it, you know, it, it doesn't leave a lot of room for humor, obviously. It's probably the most sincere chapter. Are there even any hijinks? Again, there's the joke about the guy's wife, but even that isn't that funny. It's more kind of depressing because they lose a good surgeon and 
There's not a lot of, like, there is a, as you noted too in part one, there is an attempt at the end to conclude the chapter with a joke, which is something Hooker will not do or will refuse to not do until the final chapter, which does not end with a joke, really. (laughs) And actually, it doesn't end with a joke at all. And so there's an attempt there, but this is the chapter to me that hit me as the unsuccessful shift, not so much the, the character football stuff. Did you enjoy this one? Um, I didn't mind this one. I yeah. When he writes about the the surgeries and stuff, like I'm I'm fascinated by it uh, because I'm really grossed out by like I can't watch anything on on a screen that has blood or pus or like showing muscle or anything. I immediately get like really nauseous but reading about it I'm okay I don't know why Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) but um, I thought that it was kind of important I suppose Um, the the medical discussions in this chapter he's trying to explain like his whole thing is like the the reason that training is so important and why uh, Blake thought that it was a good idea for Hawkeye and Duke is that there's a difference between the classically trained surgeons versus the meatball surgeons, which is what they call themselves. Yeah, right. And so to really highlight how that's different and how important it is that you have, that you react quickly because he, he also um, in the, in the same chapter, Pinkham and the other guy, um, which I forgot his name, uh, something, um, I'm trying to think, too, but I'm, I'm going to only do worse than you. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Russell. Pinkham and okay. Russell. Yeah, yeah. Um, he, they are, um, they take their time, right? He, um, Russell in particular, I remember one scene where he's like, he identifies what's wrong, and then he wants to do like an inch by inch, like, real look at this soldier and um, find out all the things that are wrong and they're trying to save every piece of like one person while all these other people are you know dying from other big wounds and, and trying to explain that hey sometimes you have to sacrifice this guy's leg so that you can save this other guy's life so it's about the, the life threatening wounds versus the 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 not as bad I suppose uh, not as dangerous not as fatal wounds for some of these others um, yeah yeah so the the discussions of the of what was happening and like the medical that like going into detail about what Hawkeye had to do to like inflate the lung for example yeah um, right that didn't bother me as much because I thought of it as like an example of like the difference between classic surgery versus army surgery and how much how very different like the reaction times are and like even just like putting your mouth on a tube that's in somebody's lung right right, right. And just getting in there no germs yeah just, be yeah, just <laughs> do it and then and we saw some of that at the beginning too and we also saw that with um the anesthesiologist who uses condoms Right, he goes through like sixty condoms a week or something like that to, for like mm-hmm. um, the t- for the ballooning effect yeah. of it yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that. So Front yeah, line. it didn't bother me as much. Yeah, yeah, I think it. I guess I was waiting for more shenanigans 
and it was a chapter that was devoid of those. And those have been pretty few and far between. There really have not been any chapters, even the the dark, literally the darkest deluge, like the, the deluge that one explicitly stated is the worst period of, of intense trauma, death, all that. Even that has its shenanigans. This, it was the combination. I was waiting for the, the jokes to kick in and for the scenarios, but then also, I guess in a sense, right, him doing those hands-on things, him putting the mouth on the tube all, is meant to be pretty, um, sla- not slapstick, but something like slapstick. It's it's kind of a physical, yeah. you know, type of goofy practicality. So, yeah, but it just the textbookiness of it, too, felt very, I don't know. Yeah, it, it was a strange one. Anything else from that section? No, not really. And I think you picked up on something I'm about to hit on, which is you mentioned like the physical toll versus mental toll. Yeah. In chapter 15, which I'll summarize in a second, do you think that some of the Duke's shenanigans there are like PTSD or is it meant to be funny? Like when he brandishes his gun and threatens people is I, I couldn't really get a foothold on if that was, I mean, obviously it's the way that the Hawkeye responds is meant to be kind of, kind of light but I just couldn't tell if the author was trying to stir up something deeper. At this point in the book, I just don't give him the benefit of the doubt on that stuff because the other hijinks have been so absurd and so pitched. Right. That, but it was, again, that stuff I couldn't fully... It's like with the, the hysterical or what was it? Not hysterical. The epileptic whore. Like, I couldn't get fully on board because there was something about the way it was written and some of the details were just too off kilter for me to laugh fully did you think Mm -hmm. i don't know how did you read the duke in the end in the final chapter Um, when he was like brandishing his weapon yeah like like threatening people and stuff yeah i i took it as like he just didn't want to talk to people these right right they were at the front and they saw their stuff and these newbies are wanting obviously to know what's happening up there and he just doesn't want to he's he's going home he's trying to leave it all behind him he remember they don't look back as they're leaving the unit specifically they're they're trying to leave everything behind and so even on the boat ride home they don't want to talk to people about what they experienced and stuff so it's i think that it was just a way to it was his crazy way of getting people to leave him the hell alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And the and you can kind of tell that from the for I keep calling the Hawkeye. <laughs> I don't know why I can say that. <laughs> it's a more powerful title. But from Hawkeye's response, you can tell that he is the one who is that it's not that serious and that if it were you'd think he would respond differently um let's quickly wrap up on chapter 15 though we're going long um as we've alluded to hawkeye and duke finally have arrived at the end of their tour so they've got their papers to go home they share some goodbyes with the cast of characters we've come to know including probably the most emotional one is with colonel blake because they do him the honor of proper military demeanor and then they you know shake give him a handshake and leave did you react to any of the other goodbyes they're it's pretty curt um the when um hawkeye got the note when he found the note from trapper john in his pocket oh yeah that's true yeah that's a good one i thought that was very sweet yeah 
the Trapper John's actual last words were get the hell out of here or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's hard to say goodbye. Um, and so they depart. Uh, they're also back where they started, which might be its own kind of meta commentary. They're drunk and in the back of a Jeep, just kind of shooting the shit and just heading out. <laughs> so it's literally ends where it started. Nothing's really changed. I think in terms of character piece, that is fitting because we've remarked on their lack of growth. They just kind of were who they were. Um, on the way back to their civilian lives, they do stir up some trouble. And as we mentioned, with there's some newly arrived military men that they're supposed to share a bunk with. And, you know, they brandish their guns, get them out. They also test the limits of their potential alcoholism by not drinking for a bit to see if they've really devolved over the course of the book. And yeah. then their final stunt is to pose as military chaplains on the boat ride back to get out of some medical inspections, which this is, I think, some of the terminology I was reading through too quickly. But this is one that I actually stopped and did some rereading when they were talking about that that was like genital inspections right for I don't yeah, know I guess the STDs. short arm is yeah yeah I, <laughs> it took me a second but because obviously they're t- speaking so casually about it and they only refer to it in the in the slang but by the end even I was like wait a second there's some kind of joke happening here that I didn't quite get it's when he talks about how well you just sit on a chair smoke a cigar you know, take a quick look at it and say, it's fine, son. And then you, you know, keep them moving or whatever. Um, biggest one I ever saw or whatever the joke was, they said. And so anyway, that's their final, final kind of joke is to make some sex jokes as chaplains and, you know, horrify people that way. Uh, in the end, the final scene, they fly back to O'Hare together and that's where they depart. And they end with kind of a somber, sweet note that I pulled for my kind of observation. I kind of like the ending actually, which I was surprised, but I, I thought it was kind of fitting. Um, couple couple quiet words at the airport pretty understated and i think the final quotes are worth saying um i did like that one of the final things actually was that they're drinking their own liquor on the plane they get warned about the captain and hawkeye says that'll be fine ma'am we're pr- we'd be proud of me and my buddy here's a captain too hawkeye grabbed the bottle and put it away never mind your captain honey he promised i'll take care of mine and so that oh, i think that was the duke and then hawkeye corrects him quickly you know nice little fun lighthearted banter they're causing their usual trouble um and of course their final quotes to each other i'll see y'all sometime you goddamn yankee stay loose hell of a place to end an interesting association doctor said hawkeye pierce but it's nice to uh, but it's been nice to have known you and then, of course, uh, truly the last word is when Hawkeye gets home to his family. It's the final lines of the book. It says, the larger of the two boys jumped into his father's arms and inquired, how they going, Hawkeye? Fine as kind, replied his father, which feels like the brevity and kind of, I don't know, simplified wisdom that you'd expect from him. Yeah, very practical, very direct. And so, I don't know, I, I wouldn't say it made me emotional um, because it's it's been well documented for two episodes now. I've not responded a hundred percent positively to everything this book's been doing but i don't know it was a couple a couple nice lines at the end well observed kind of quiet still had some of the charm to it i i enjoyed the ending the final pages i did too and and i'm glad too that with hawkeye we see hawkeye reuniting with his family it wasn't overly sentimental instead of calling him dad they call him hawkeye which is Mm -hmm. i think very fitting for his character and 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 true to uh, his character as well that he would have kids that would give him as much guff as he gives to everybody else so yeah yeah no it's definitely (laughs) yeah that was a nice also a funny twist on what his home life might be like and it gives you a sense of the persona he puts on at home he's Hawkeye everywhere 
He yeah. wasn't putting on a show for anybody. <laughs> Although I hope, exactly. I hope some of the juvenile stuff can stay behind, but who the heck knows? <laughs> maybe not. Maybe who? maybe the wife will straighten him out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be up to her, Amanda, but as you'd expect, she doesn't get a line in the end. <laughs> She's yeah. uh, not exactly present at the end of the story, so in name alone. But I did think the last few pages were a nice encapsulation of what was kind of good about it. Um, what about the ending yeah. did you like? I um I actually liked the um when when they were leaving um I'll just pull the quote real quick from from my mm-hmm. page 167 um well said the hawk finally when you live in this sort of situation long enough you either get to love a few people or to hate them and we've been pretty lucky I don't know I do know that nothing like this will ever happen to us again never again except in our families will we ever be as close with anyone as we were in that goddamn tent for the past year and with Hugly here and Father Mulcahy and mm-hmm. a few others I'm glad it happened and I'm some jeezly glad it's over so I thought that was a really nice summary of kind of just the overall theme of the book, which is like how these people, these strangers become like a family unit, especially the, the four, uh, the three guys in the, the tent and then eventually Spear Chucker Jones as well as so the four, um, but how they create this bond and it's like a family. They, they support each other. I mean, in different ways as they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they go through these traumas together and they love each other. But at, in the end, they're like also really happy to not be near each other. Cause that means that they're back in normal civilian life and, right. and everything. So I, I appreciated that, that Hawkeye said that so succinctly and, and that it was like, that's the, the real kind of message of the book overall I, I took away from that yeah it did feel as if it did feel as if the author needed a thematic little moment of thematic clarity i suppose you could call it because yes i i also when you read that just now reread it i it immediately it came to mind because it felt i yeah it's like i remember processing that and thinking it was maybe the first time he jumped in so explicitly with kind of i don't know something like a main idea <laughs> yeah and something that's so uh philosophical in thought too like mm-hmm. it's the philosophy has definitely been you know not a part of this book but but something that that specific is and philosophically thought out I, I, it stood out to me for sure yeah definitely at least the, the rest has been implied for sure uh, military service things implied any final thoughts on the conclusion or chapter 15 at all um nope excellent okay we'll do our usual ending segments here at the end of any book club we like to end with critical assistance and then our hall of fame so critical assistance is when we pull quotes from an outside piece of criticism maybe a book review could be we usually do pieces of writing so articles and essays and such but it could be something from a video or podcast or whatever mine looks longer than it is because i don't think i'm going to read all these um but I suppose I'll go first because I've dropped a ton of text in. I did find a New Yorker piece. It'd been a while since I pulled one. We like to pull from the New Yorker. It's a bit of criticism by Howard Fishman, but it's more of a review of the whole series. It mentions the novel a fair amount, but then, of course, talks a ton about the TV show and also about the film because there was a movie, too. I'll read the first paragraph in whole because it's actually about the book. Um, so let me just read this from Howard Fishman and the New Yorker. It was The article is called What MASH Taught Us. That's the title. And from 2017. Anyway, the quote. 
the book's sometimes technical descriptions of the kinds of meatball surgery his characters perform in the field give it an air of authenticity. The novel's focus, however, in its narrative centers on a somewhat disjointed series of sketches involving a loose assemblage of colorful personalities. Together, they engage in hijinks and exhibit what today might be called bro behavior. Hornberger, which, by the way, so the author used a pen name. Did you know that? (laughs) Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, Hooker is not his name. It's Hornberger, which the art- this article took me a second because they kept calling him that. Of course, the New Yorker would have the research department engage and would use the actual names because <laughs> they, they looked at him up. Anyway, so his name's Hornberger, hmm. the, the author. Um, Hornberger had been a dedicated fraternity member in college and the novel's triumvirate of young doctors named Hawkeye, Trapper, and Duke at times comport themselves like badly behaved undergraduates. They rib one another, perpetrate elaborate practical jokes, call each other by pet names, objectify and harass women play golf gamble drink a surfeit of alcohol and make a a man cave of their shared living quarters a tent that they famously christen the swamp though each is happily married to a wife who awaits him back home is that true about trapper I don't know if Trapper does. Yeah, there were a couple moments in this article where I was like, eh, I don't know if that's true. But anyway, um, their service in Korea seems to offer them an opportunity to experience a kind of second adolescence. Um, lots to unpack in the quote. I will just second the final line, which usually in a New Yorker piece, we get at least one moment of truly inspiring clarity. It did feel like it had returned to adolescence for them in... I think what I come away with is maybe I wish the juxtaposition of their kind of working life and the jokey adolescent fraternity life i wish it worked more i wish those things were in conflict more or something it just looking back on it now it seems like such a clear mission of a book but i don't think it landed with me um and any thoughts on those descriptions um eh, i mean not it makes sense to me the the disjointed series of sketches involving a loose assemblage of colorful personalities, I think, is pretty spot on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that was something that I had picked up on too, because I was like, I, I wish that there had been some kind of like thematic thing, which we did, I think, finally get at the end there with with Hawkeye's philosophical thoughts there. That that finally made it more of a novel rather than like a short story compilation, almost. But yeah. 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 Um, One more quote I'll read in length. The rest I'll just briefly summarize. Uh, MASH, this is a quote, MASH is a a mostly light, pithy read. The horrors and injustices of war are not explored as thematic elements in the way they are in the film and television adaptations, which I can't speak to. Hornberger seems to have approached the writing the novel as something of a lark, a way to account for posterity some of the more outlandish stories he either experienced or heard while serving. Altman's film adaptation is much better than the book and pound for pound probably the artistic highlight of the franchise which we can't comment on. We're not here to analyze that. Yeah, I think it's meant to be light. And the moments when serious things come through, yeah, it's what I'll take away from the book is kind of a missed opportunity because I feel like I got lost in the frat boy goofiness of it all. So with some of the, like when the deluge happens or when they're trying to train those guys at the end, I don't know if the writing was quite up for that. It's also difficult because if you're writing in the history of war fiction, you're writing against some of the most grim, like introspective and bleak, really probing stuff that's ever been written. And so it's just kind of like, it's just difficult to pull off both in in the same book. And so I thought that this was, that's a decent way to 
kind of file it under like this is a light pithy read like it's it kind of is what it is and it has a slight charms and the characters do what the things they do i'm not sure if that read true yeah light pithy read is i think pretty perfect and he even though he does kind of lightly touch on some of the uh, more horrific aspects of of war um did you read the foreword i did not i never swung back to it yeah um so like his his purpose um was not to um to make it like a traditional war novel where you just focus on like the terrible things about the war but he wanted to focus on the ways that they coped with the war um and so he he wrote this after like he had ideas for the book but he didn't start writing it until he had um gotten back together with one of his buddies his his war buddies and they were just going back and forth with the stories and the stories were all of course the things that they wanted to remember so the hijinks and stuff like that and he's like that's what i want to write about is is the stuff that we did to get through it yeah yeah okay the, I, we've now arrived because i thought those quotes were mostly well observed and had the new yorkers brevity clarity to it Th- this uh, i admit i saved the things i want to actually really poke at till the end i have to say we have not watched mash or unless you have have you watched the tv show mash yeah that's um i've seen the movie and i've seen um the tv show the tv show is like one of my dad's favorites fantastic (laughs) then i can't wait for you to put this to the test because these paragraphs (laughs) like not shocked me but i did not agree with them at all but i just can't tell because i've never seen the show so it says unlike the book or the film the television mash rallies around the character of hawkeye the book does too i thought kind (laughs) of it's like i mean but it's like the hawkeye gets he gets the final word in almost every scenario and so already i'm like i don't know about this uh paragraph of criticism um as depicted in the book captain benjamin franklin hawkeye pierce is a bumpkin from bumpkin town maine one of hornberger's characters describes him as an uncouth yokel that's a different character to be fair the characters introduced as being in his late 20s a former college athlete married with two young sons and an avid reader of Maine Coast Fisherman magazine and so I don't think the book sees him that way I think the book sees him as kind of a quiet genius <laughs> like I don't I, I he, they're, they're definitely all kind of simple and unrefined you know like as in like they're not uh, they're not ivy league cocktail party refined or they're not privy to you know they're not going to the opera but i don't think the book treats him in the way that the that this is describing him as i think the book sees him as like a clear hero genius who will always win (laughs) so i was already kind of like i don't know about this reading of the book but again maybe it's the show makes him so different let me just keep going with a couple more quotes though um it says that so uh, it, the character in the show is described as quote um, no, brought up in Nova Scotia and is as qu- naturally quiet, unassuming, and laconic. When the producers of the TV show recruited Alan Alda to play him, they not only intentionally missed Hornenberger's target entirely, but wound up in the woods somewhere. His Hawkeye became one of the most famous characters in TV history. Uh, he is articulate, kind, and caring. In the show, he reacts as much as he acts. And, and one of his greatest gifts is how much he seems to listen. Now, I don't think kind of articulate and caring, like, yeah, that's not always Hawkeye in the book, though. He's definitely caring and sincere about serious things. That's kind of his hallmark. I just don't... 
and they all are kind of quiet. Like, they don't want to get into things unless they have to. It seems like every time there's a conflict in the book, they're kind of forced into it. You know, they'd rather just quietly work, leave us alone. We just want to, you know, do our do our surgeries and get out of here. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's a huge contrast between the show's Hawkeye and the books? The biggest contrast that I noticed um, uh, between the TV series and the uh the book is that hawkeye in the tv series is way more moralistically superior like he definitely drives that home a lot more okay and will um be far more um in some of the episodes he's like way more um aggressively in your face about it and not as much about like playing jokes as revenge although he does do that um, he will actually deal with it head on if he thinks that something morally is incorrect which he does twice in the book explicitly punches that guy in the face or maybe Trapper yeah. did second or something and then later he gets into a huge fight with the anesthesiologist over a bot shop and he beats himself up he like yells at those those guys come in to commend them for saving his friend and he like yells at them that calls them like idiots or something because he messed up like he's holds himself to a higher standard than he was doing even though he save that guy's life right there's moments now again it, it's so intercut with juvenile humor and hijinks that right. I, I don't know i just i again i have no idea if the tv show reads so differently but those descriptions didn't seem that off the book so to say like they missed the target entirely i was like i don't i don't know i don't think the book would think you did <laughs> i think i mean the book maybe had more fun with the jokey boyish kind of bro humor as he called it but I don't think it. I think the book kind of reveres Hawkeye, you know. And it does. The Duke yeah, too. it definitely does. Yeah. He's. I mean, yeah, he's the son of a fisherman, and he, I mean, he does make the joke about like his all of his brothers are in jail, um, but he's he went to a really good college. He's a doctor. He's like yeah. successful, you know. And same with the Duke, who grew up in a small town in Georgia, but he's also successful, and uh, you know. The only one who's like Ivy League trained is um, Trapper John, who went to Dartmouth, right? Right. So, right. yeah. Final, <laughs> final quote here, just because again, I want to get into the contrast as much as we can, kind of poke yeah. at it. The and I won't read the whole thing, but at the end, it says in, this is describing the TV show. After he said the show is nothing like the book, but listen to what he describes the show as. Hawkeye becomes the nonconformist in chief, gaining the admiration of his fictional colleagues for his expert medical skills, his compassion, and his intolerance for hypocrisy. What is mostly skirted over is his obvious alcohol problem and his habit of coming onto women in lecherous, creepy ways. Okay, so the women part, I think the book downplays and leaves that to other characters to be like weird and creepy about women. Um, the alcohol thing, though, hit me hard because I was like, yeah, the book, it comes up so, fr- it, they're drinking constantly. And the book makes no, there's no jokes about it ever. There's no satirical scenes. There's light commentary mentioning how drunk they are at times. But do you remember, the, the, was there any moment in here that struck you as like a commentary on or jokes about the drinking stuff? Because when I read that, I was like, well, that it did kind of, the book did kind of skirt over that. Yeah, the only um, thing that I remember from the book about the um potential for an alcohol problem was just at the end when they were like testing themselves right they were joking about testing themselves. yes on the way back yeah yeah Yeah. totally um but yeah even in the tv series like they're constantly like is a glass of gin 
in their hands every time they're back at their tent. Ah, uh, gotcha. So, yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. final part I wanted to unpack, and I'll let you do this. But again, this was this is a paragraph after he said the book is, his character is nothing like the book, and then he lists off this stuff. Uh, okay, respected for his expert medical skills, that's literally the oh, that's his whole deal in the book. That's the whole thing. Yep. That's why the colonel leaves yep. him alone. Like that's his whole <laughs> thing is that it's there's a whole chapter at the end about how good he's gotten at this practical kind of medicine. Like okay, I, that's the same as the book. His compassion. The book goes out of its way to show that he is compassionate, but only about <laughs> yeah. saving people, not about anything else. So yeah, but again, that's like the, his cornerstone of his whole moral compass. Uh, mixed metaphor there, but is that he will not do a bad job saving people's lives. And in times right. for hypocrisy, again, aggressively, yes, he goes out of his way <laughs> to literally attack people physically in the book who he thinks are doing a sloppy, hypocritical job or are just faking their way to the top. There's that whole early chapter about how he fights with that buttoned-up doctor for just making issues when there aren't any and causing problems when you shouldn't. Like, he just wants people to work hard and... Be, and be honest that's like all he wants well and you know shenanigans right. so I, I don't yeah i mean again i've never seen the show but seeing the author so aggressively say that they're miles apart and then say that about the show it's like i don't know man the book is doing most of that stuff <laughs> it's like i yeah. think what the book really wanted to be doing and so maybe this author when he read the book reacted even more negatively to the the broy hijinks because i do think in this story there is there are those things well yeah i mean there's also like the the cornerstone of mash the the series was also those hijinks like it, it's a comedy it's specifically yeah. marketed as a comedy um the only like they just hide they they really emphasized hawkeye's um yeah he's like the best one of the best surgeons in there and he's um um Compassionate. What they they really focused on, though, even more so than the the medical skills in the show, was the the compassion aspect, the the mm-hmm. intolerance for for hypocrisy, as they say. So that was like the the real focus. That that was amplified more so than it was in the book, which I think is like the big difference for me with the two Hawkeyes is just like how much more okay we saw that. Um, but everything else, like reading, I was just like, yeah okay this makes sense to me this is this is Hawkeye and like even with the movie where uh, Donald Sutherland is Hawkeye um, his version of Hawkeye he did a good job there was like several aspects of that that I thought were done well but I think the mm. the he was lacking in a, in a lot of the juvenile goofiness that Hawkeye is well known for in the book yeah it has I think the juvenile aspect of it must have kind of overwhelmed this author's reading because era of the book anyway because I think the book that stuff is so outdated now I mean I grant that the show was made in that in the, the similar era too but I think just some of it does read as kind of absurdly childlike or, or something so yeah mixed mixed reactions I thought his reading of the book at first was was pretty spot on but then when the show stuff came up just saying that those things aren't present in the book I thought was so strange like that they were miles yeah. away it's like man that, a lot of those are present in the book that's kind of the book's deal and it with yeah. Hawkeye anyway uh, how about for your outside criticism um, I pulled from Kirkus Reviews and this mm-hmm. review was published in 1968 so 
Um, I was like, mm. whoa, okay. So, um, so I just have a couple of quotes. <laughs> the first one is, yeah. the Swampmen are irreverent, inventive, and totally disarming, whether getting blasted in their home quarters, fondly known as the Swamp, peddling personally autographed photographs of Jesus Christ, Trapper John bears an aesthetic resemblance, pretending a need for psychiatric care, demanding an epileptic whore, rigging a football game, or sending in substitutes for short arms inspection, but it isn't all games. Mr. Hooker knows his surgical procedures and his characters, and there is a real sense of the overwork, frustration, and pain present. Hmm. Um, so irreverent, I was like, yes. Inventive, yeah. And disarming, I found them disarming in a lot of ways. So I was like, okay, yeah, I, I agree with that. And then that there's a real sense of the overwork, frustration, and pain. I think that that wasn't as present, although I think he did a good job with showing some of it. Yeah, it would have to be a slightly different book. I also just struggle because some of the most formative things I read when I was kind of turning back to reading literature again, like late high school, college age, some of the most formative things I read at at that time were military fiction and it's just such a hard genre to to stand out in because some of the most intense kind of memorable brutal introspective things ever written are in that genre so it's just like mm-hmm. i don't know I, that description i think is objectively true i will just never remember this book for those reasons <laughs> it's just not mm-hmm. i don't know yeah it's just not going to i don't think it's going to stand on the shoulders of all quiet on the western front you know, like I just don't yeah, think very that's possible. Different novel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just don't. It's just kind of laughable, even to like think. Uh, but it's in there though, and I and I wouldn't say it's poorly done. But the juxtaposition for me would just did not work. Like I could not. I just could not respond appropriately because because the hijinks were just too absurd. And and it, at their times, fun though. That's the thing is I didn't. It's not like I was um, turning my nose at all of them. But anyway. Yeah. Um, The final thing is, uh, MASH is for men. Those who remember the battles that were fought after the battle was over. I was Mm. like, whoof. (laughs) Well, I will say that that author, you know, 50 years and 60 years in the past, did pick up on something that I was trying to track, which is, what are the women in this book going to be up to? Uh, The answer is not much, except being the butts of jokes. And Mm -hmm. they don't have much to say or do. Though, you know, there's the one character I I keep forgetting the name of you've tracked. Yeah. But yeah, that's... um, Yeah, pretty, pretty bluntly, I don't think any... I don't know. I feel like that's almost like a product review recommendation or, or something, like a car review or something more practical, mm-hmm. consumer-based. I don't know if I'd ever say that a bo- about a book, you know, blank is for men, blank is for women, you know, yeah. read, read, read everything, <laughs> don't limit. But it's, I think the author has a clear has a clear bias that you can track without much thought. You know, you don't have to put in too much analytical work. Any yeah. other thoughts on the review? Uh Nope, that's well, it. I really hoarded the time on that one with mine, but I'm glad at least no, you brought in your knowledge of the show because I, yeah, I couldn't <laughs> let those comments go at the end. It was, it struck me as just too strange, and I, it made me wonder how different the show's Hawkeye must be. But yeah, anyway, I'm glad we dug in. It's there. not, not, not too different. <laughs> no. All right, let's do the Hall of Fame. This is our final segment, as always, for our book club part twos. We will induct one element from the story into the lightly literary Hall of Fame. Could be anything that we enjoyed about the work, something to remember it by. Amanda, go ahead and do yours first. What are you going to induct? 
I'm going to say most consistent humor ticks or beats. Mm. Um, there's always one-liners, and at the end of each chapter, there's some kind of joke, except for the final chapter. Yeah, except fittingly enough for the final one, the, the seriousness creeps back in again at the end. Though, you could read the kid calling Himake as a kind of light joke if you want, I think. It's kind of, I read it as more sweet, kind of the revelation that he's kind of the same dude, he's always the Hawkeye, but but I, you could also kind of laugh at that too. But no, I agree with you. I'm going to induct in a surprise pick because we've talked about him basically not at all. But what I did for this is I really took a minute of contemplation and thought, where did I laugh the most? Because I knew it had to be something humor-based. Like, I want to induct something that I thought was funny. It's clearly a book meant to be funny. I'm putting in Colonel Blake, the boss that they got to bother for so long. Like, (laughs) I really think, but this, this is just personal reaction, I think, too. I, I just like grumpy people saying God damn it in frustration. And I when I thought back to the book of like when I chuckled or when I kind of smiled, laughed to myself while reading it, it was mostly involving him when he just when they would be pulling elaborate stuff and then occasionally he would just cut in with like a God damn it to hell or what, you know, whatever he'd be mumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a minor character for sure. I think in humor books like this where the hijinks are so absurd, it's good to have a character just kind of throwing his hands up at it all. Totally baffled, totally overwhelmed. I, I You know, it's not like I can say he's an interesting character, but I think including him was very smart. So I, I want to put him in to admire that decision. And I think that kind of archetype of the the old formalized old timer who just should be above it all and and can't believe what he's seeing um i i enjoyed it and you know i love a good goddamn it what can i say <laughs> <laughs> yep so i'm in, i'm putting him in um any other thoughts on mash by richard hooker which is not his name <laughs> <Pet> <laughs> I, why I'm wondering if that's like another juvenile joke thing because the nickname for Richard is Dick, so it's like Dick Hooker. Honestly, probably, and we've done <laughs> such an admirable job not making any jokes or laughing at it, and we've been reading it with such deadpan sincerity that yeah, to find out at the end it was a pen name is maybe that's the final joke on us. Got us again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts on Mash? Nope. No, yeah, I think we covered it well. One of our longest episodes. How does this happen with the yeah. books? It always happens with the books that I don't like. I think it's because I ramble. <laughs> <laughs> or, I don't know. Dislike is way too strong. I enjoyed, I enjoyed parts of this for sure. Um, thanks, as always, listeners, for sticking with us to the very end. We are the Lightly Literary Podcast. As I mentioned, follow us on Instagram and Facebook under those handle handles under that handle it's all one word so find us there if you can leave a rating on itunes or spotify wherever you found this we're up on most platforms please do so it helps a ton so a rating and recommendation would be very helpful if you enjoyed this we have other books coming up in order we always pick at least three or four ahead amanda will tell you about them now take it away amanda we have the midnight library by matt haig and then we have crying in h mart by michelle zauner and Dubliners by James Joyce. So we go from novel to memoir to short story compilation. Yeah, diverse. And, you know, a contemporary contemporary classic. That's a good balance. I will say a bit of a programming spoiler. There's a decent chance I do Midnight Library solo, and there's a 100% chance that you'll be back for Crying in H Mart, which I will not do without you. But whatever oh, whatever great. the leave takes, <laughs> there's absolutely no way. Not only because it was your pick, but it seems like thematically and subject-wise that, yeah, there's no way I would go that one alone 
it's one that you should be there for. <laughs> You're the person who showed me what HMART was, so you have to be there for that episode. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you're paying attention to the break and you're you're noticing the maternity leave stuff, the feed will be pumping out as normal. There's going to be no, no absences, no breaks in the feed, so just keep your eyes on that. Though you might see me do Midnight Library solo, Amanda might be back for it. We'll see how things go. Um, thanks as always for listening to the very, very end. We appreciate that. And until next time, we'll see you between the pages. 